Amen. Praise God. Over these last several weeks, we have been going through some very essential uh, matters of Scripture and very essential uh, things that Jesus himself addressed. And uh, he spoke in a very in a conversation with a man named Nicodemus who came to him searching for some answers to uh, what it looked like, uh, what it was going to take uh, to, to make it to heaven. And uh, I'm, just, I'm just diving right in this morning because we have a lot that I'm going to try to cover here today. But this man Nicodemus came to Jesus seeking uh, some answers to what it would take to inherit eternal life and to see the kingdom of God and the response that Jesus had to him was recorded in John chapter 3, verse 3. His answer was, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And this is our subject, uh, a subject matter that we've been covering over these last three weeks. And uh, we're looking at this subject of you must be born again. Now, Jesus was speaking of a spiritual birth. He was not talking about a natural, another natural birth, but rather a spiritual birth. He explains that in verse 5 when uh, he says, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Last week, we looked at... Water baptism and the essentiality of water baptism and how it was practiced in scripture. We went back to the very source of scripture for how they did it. For that's how I want to do it. And uh, we looked at that and being born of water. But he said, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. I want to look at the gospel and what is the gospel? That very word, the gospel, means the good news. It's the good news that would be declared to us. And uh, we see the gospel explained in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 uh, is, is one portion where yeah, Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, he summarizes what is the gospel? And we can read here, beginning in verse number one. He says, More, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which you also received, and wherein you stand. And so he's going to explain. He says, By which also you are saved. It's by the gospel that you have obtained salvation. And he says, If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you believed in vain, Verse 3, for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins. Okay, I want to go back to that beginning of that. He's saying, I delivered this as I received it. Now, Paul, the writer of this, he himself was not with Jesus, but he had, a, he had Jesus revealed to him on a road to Damascus. He was on a road and, and miraculously Jesus appeared to him in a bright light blinding him. And then Paul went and he spent some time in the desert and God uh, revealed himself again speaking to him. And we see 
Paul reflect back on that several times in his writings about how Jesus visited him. And he, he called himself even once. He said, I was born out of due time. In other words, God, you didn't reveal yourself to me when I was here on the, or when, when you were walking here on this earth, but, but you saw fit to come and to still show yourself as Jesus Christ, the one who came to be crucified and to die for our sins. And now he's saying that this message was delivered to me from Jesus, and now I'm delivering it to you, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. This is the gospel message. The death, the burial, and the resurrection. All three of these are the gospel message. We looked at these in relation to a birth last week and, uh, and death, burial, and resurrection. And, and um, where we looked at uh, um, repentance and baptism and, and the Holy Ghost in, in relation to uh, a, a birth last week, and I want to look at this in relation to the gospel message here, because all three of these were necessary for the gospel to save us, for the good news of the death, the burial, and the resurrection to be a salvation uh, message for us. We see that experienced for us, we get to experience that gospel message. We still today can experience the death, the burial, and the resurrection. There's another question that was given in Acts chapter 2. I think we've hit this verse every week of these past several weeks, but it's in Acts 2, 38, that, G, that uh, Peter responds to a question of what they must do to be saved. And he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And this is how we today get to experience the gospel message. We today experience the death, the burial, and the resurrection through repentance, baptism, and receiving the Holy Ghost. That is how we today experience that. We see this, again, Jesus speaking of this, uh, this experience in Luke chapter 24, verses 45 through 51. It says, Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it's written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and arise from the dead on the third day. And that... Repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power that is from on high. And he led them out as far as to Bethany, and he lifted up his hands, and he blessed them, and it came to pass... That while he blessed them, he was parted from heaven and he was carried up into heaven. This is the very last thing that Jesus is saying to his followers. He is talking to them about his death, the necessity of his death, burial, and resurrection. And how we today get to experience that through baptism and repentance. And then he says, go 
to Jerusalem and you're going to experience something even greater. Or you're going to experience something that is supernatural. You will receive, uh, experience a promise that is from the Father. Now, I think it's interesting when we look at this salvation message and we look at the death, the burial, and the resurrection in, in relation to how we experience this. And if you look at what took place with Jesus when he, when he died on that cross, that was an act of men that put him up on the cross. It was an act of men who nailed his hands to that, to those timbers and nailed his feet there and, and they hung him there. It was an act of men by which he died. It was an act of men by which they took him off that cross and they took him to a tomb and they buried him in that tomb. But it was only by an act of God that he resurrected out of that tomb. There was no man that came in and did that. There was no man that uh, that, that did any had played any part in the resurrection of Jesus. It was an act of God. And, and, and we see the same thing that uh, can be uh, that can be said of how we experience the gospel. That repentance is about my actions. I come to God in repentance. I have a made up mind that I'm not going to live the same way that I have lived previously. I'm going to turn away from my sinful life. I'm going to make some changes to my life. I'm going to, I'm going to turn around as that word means and to live a different way. It's, it's my actions. Again, baptism is my action. Now there's a spiritual component to it that no man can really do. It's not every time that you dip into the water that it's a baptism but so there's a spiritual component to it but it's my action to come and to be baptized in Jesus name but it's only by the power of God and by God's action that I receive his spirit it's only by his actions and and him filling me with his spirit as he wants to do it's a gift that he wants to do he wants to give us but it's by God's action that we surrender to him and allow him to fill us with his spirit. So we get to experience it in a very similar way that it was first experienced. Now, again, just diving in on, on this, uh, these, these relationships between the gospel message and our experience, we see how repentance, baptism, and receiving the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit, it affects every part of who we are. Every part of you is affected by the salvation plan. That when you come to God in repentance, it affects the soul of man. Now, now we see through Scripture that, uh, that, that every man, every every person is is made up of soul, body, and spirit. And we have a soul, we have a body that, that you can see, you can touch, and there's, there's the spirit of man that all of these areas, all three of those are affected by the experience of the gospel. We see in repentance, the soul is affected. In, in other words, our unseen identity, the, the thoughts, the emotions, the intellect, those areas of, of 
of your life are affected by repenting. That soul that you have is affected by uh, by coming to God in repentance. The, in, in baptism, our body is physically affected. You go down into the water and your physical identity uh, is, is affected during baptism. But during uh, or when you would receive the Holy Ghost, your spiritual identity connects with God. Your spirit is, uh, is, is, is experiencing something through, uh, through receiving the spirit of God in your life and, and something becomes alive that was not quite alive before. And, and you, your spiritual identity connects to God in that moment when you receive the Holy Spirit. And so we see all areas, all aspects of our life that are changed, that are affected by the gospel message, how, how wonderful it is to, to see how, how comprehensive it is to, to, to know that God's uh, plan for salvation affects every part of us. I want to really hone in here today on this third aspect, which is the Holy Spirit. This third aspect of being born again and of, of the gospel, experiencing the gospel uh, and in we're going to look into the book of Acts, chapter 1, is where we're primarily going to um, be today in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. The reason that we're going there is because this book is a history of the early church, a history of the birth of the church. And uh, we see how God relates, to, begins to relate to man in a different way than he had ever related to man. Prior to this, and uh, we we see that promised here, the promise of the Holy Spirit coming to us in Acts chapter one, verses one through eight. So we're going to do just a little bit of reading here today. We're just going to let the Word speak to us. This is the former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. Until the day in which he was taken up after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them for 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And so in his introduction here to this book, Luke writes uh, that Jesus he was on the earth following his resurrection for 40 days. He showed himself to, uh, you know, by many infallible proofs or proving that he was who he said he was. And he, he spoke to his disciples or his followers for 40 days. Continuing on, verse 4. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem. Rather that they should wait... Not rather, but that they, while there, they should wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water. He's speaking here of John the Baptist and uh, how, how he was baptizing with water. He says, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord... Wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know the time 
or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. Verse 8, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Jesus here telling them, instructing his disciples to go to Jerusalem and to wait there uh, for the promise of the Father. And he tells them what that promise is. He says, it's not the same baptism that... Uh, that you received that was by water, but now it's the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And when you receive that, you're going to know. We're going to skip down just to verse 12 here. It says that they returned uh, to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. When they were come, they went up into an upper room. Where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, Zelotus, Judas, the brother of James. And these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and he said, the number of names together were about 120. Now, Jesus, when he had given these instructions, he was gathered together with 500 people and 120 of them made it to Jerusalem. But those 120 are going to experience something miraculous. They're going to experience something that, uh, that, that will be really the birth of the church and, and we see them as they begin to pray. And I'm telling you that there is nothing like praying. Uh, there's nothing like uh, praying in unity and, and, the, and the people of God coming together and, and beginning to pray. And so as they did this, they didn't fully know exactly what to expect. But Josh, they didn't, all they knew was Jesus said, go to Jerusalem and begin to, to and, and I want you to wait for the promise of the Father. You're going to be filled with the Holy Ghost. So they begin to pray. Now, this was 40 days after Jesus had resurrected or 40 days following the, uh, uh, following the Passover. And, uh, and so then we have them coming and we see them, they begin to pray and it doesn't happen after day one. And it doesn't happen after day two. And, and day three, they're still praying and they're waiting. They're gathered there in the upper room and they continue to pray and, and they're, they're praying and praying. And it, it doesn't tell us the, the number of days uh, that they prayed, except that it does give us the indication in Acts chapter two, verse one, that it was when the day of Pentecost was fully come. So the day of Pentecost, without me diving into all the reasons for this, we know that it's 10 days that they've been praying and waiting for the promise of the Father. They've had a 10-day prayer meeting. These 120 people are there. They're waiting uh, for God. And, and we know that because this is 50 days following the Passover, 50 days following the resurrection. Jesus was with them for 40 days. He sent them back to Jerusalem. They're there and they're praying and, and they have this prayer meeting for 10 days. In verse 2, 
and tells us. We're going to read a lot of this chapter here just to get, uh, to get filled in on what took place. Verse 2, it says, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all of the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Or they began to speak in languages that they did not know, or diverse languages. Continuing in verse 5. And there dwelling in Jerusalem were Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, actually I'll I'll explain that, verse 5. This day of Pentecost that it was referencing was a, a big celebration day for the Jews. This is one of the annual feast days, and they would come and make pilgrimages from all around the region. They would make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, and so Jerusalem was bustling. There were people all around that day, and here we have 120 that are in this upper room, and on that day, we see that those on the outside began to uh, began to notice that something was happening on on the inside in that upper room. Verse 6. When this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and they were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. They were all amazed and they marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all of those which speak Galileans? In other words, they don't know our language. I know these Galileans, they're not the most educated bunch. They're a bunch of fishermen and back... Um, backwoods kind of people, and and yet we hear them speaking in our language. How hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? The Parthians, the Medes, the Elamites, those that dwell in Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene, the strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, the Cretes, the Arabians. There's a All these people from all this surrounding region have come together. And they said, we do hear them speak in our tongue, in our language, the wonderful works of God. They were all amazed and they were in doubt, saying one to another, what meaneth this? What, (coughs) excuse me, what does this mean that we have all these people that are speaking the languages that we understand, but I know that they don't speak that language, but they are declaring the glorious works of God. And others of them were mocking, and they said, oh, these men are just full of new wine. They're acting like a bunch of fools. These guys are crazy. Well, I don't know what's going on with them. I just think that uh, even being 9 o'clock in the morning, they are just a bunch of drunk people here that are acting crazy. Continue on, verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, he lifted up his voice and he said to them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words, for these are not drunken as you suppose. Seeing it's just the third hour of the day, the Jewish time clock being the nine o'clock in the morning. But this is that. What's he talking about? Referencing... Back to their question, what does this mean? What do the tongues 
that we hear? What are the languages that we hear of these people? What does that mean? And he responds to that by saying this, what you see is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. Or he's saying you're seeing it on an outward nature, but there's something else that's really happening in them. And it was prophesied by a prophet named Joel. They all knew. He was speaking to the Jews here. Uh, continuing, uh, this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel, that it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit and they shall prophesy. Come on. He's talking about this is for everybody. This prophecy uh, from hundreds of years ago was that in the last days that G- that God would pour out his spirit upon all flesh. That the, the, the poor and the rich, that the, the young and the old, everybody could receive the spirit of God. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke and the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and that notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. This was the promise fulfilled. That promise that Jesus spoke of when he told them, go to Jerusalem. And you're going to go and, and, and you're going to receive the promise of the Father. You're going to receive the Holy Ghost if you wait, if you pray. And, and they did that. But this wasn't just a promise that Jesus had spoken of. This was a promise that the prophets had spoken of. That when the prophet Joel said and prophesied uh, about nearly 500 years prior to this, that the Spirit of God would one day be poured out. And that promise from Joel was being fulfilled on that very day. Now, if we were to continue, uh, I don't have this in our notes, but in verse uh, 39 of that same chapter, it says that this promise is unto you. Peter's still speaking here to that crowd. This promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. That continues on to this day. Right now. That promise is still for us today. The Holy Spirit that was poured out there on that day of Pentecost is still available today. And it's still, amen, just as, just as real today as it was for them 2,000 years ago. Nearly 2,000 years ago. And we can receive, and we, I'm thankful that I have received the same thing that they received then. That this is that which was spoken of and prophesied of by Joel, that it's still being poured out today. Amen. We can, uh, we see today in, in, uh, in Christianity and in our circles, the, um, those that would be labeled, uh, Pentecostal and, and in our church would, would, I guess fall within that, within that, uh, um, label of, of, of Christianity. But then it's, it's pointing back to this first experience that, that we believe that, that the same experience that happened to them on the day of Pentecost is the same experience that is available for us today. 
And we really saw this, even though you can tra- find traces of this all throughout history, of people who were filled with the Holy Ghost and experienced it the same way they did, that we saw in the 1900s, early, right around the turn of the century, 1900, uh, that, uh, that there was a, a, just an outpouring, once again, an outpouring that uh, took place in, uh, actually it was taking place all over the world, but there were in Wales, uh, over in, in Great Britain, United Kingdom, over there, there was a revival of people receiving the Holy Ghost and, uh, and revivals that were taking place. And you see it happening in Western United States and in Los Angeles, Topeka, Kansas, uh, down in Houston, Texas, that people were receiving the Holy Ghost, especially in a revival called the Azusa Street Revival that uh, went on for years on a daily basis. They were meeting and the Holy Spirit was being poured out. And we see a renewing of that same experience that they experienced, that today, that Pentecostal, uh, this experience is the, is the fastest growing by far uh, thing that's taking place in the Christian worlds across the globe. That people are receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost by uh, by the thousands every single day there are people that are being filled with the holy ghost they're being baptized with the holy ghost and experiencing it the same way that we just read there in acts chapter 2 now if you have questions today about what does this mean i you know perhaps you have not experienced this yourself or maybe you even have but you still have some questions i do want to dive into some of that today and we have I'm probably not going to get through all of this but we're going to try this question of what is the Holy Spirit and I, I just have some different uh, synonyms that are in here that you may find in scripture or I may even uh, use these myself at times but uh, we, we read there in, in the King James a lot of times is that's the version we were reading from it refers to it as the Holy Ghost The Holy Spirit, the Spirit, the Comforter, the Intercessor, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Truth, the Presence of God, all these are talking about the same thing. But if I were to define it as one thing, it would be that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God residing in us. It's God coming down and putting himself to dwell inside of you. Now we see in John chapter 4 verse 24 that God is a spirit. That God himself is the Holy Spirit. That that is, that is what, uh, what God consists of is spirit. And, and God as a spirit, what he does is he, he, he want, he, he is everywhere at one time. He doesn't have any bounds. He isn't, um, he isn't confined to one space, but God can be everywhere at once as the Spirit, as an omnipresent Spirit. John chapter 14, verse 16 tells us, it's Jesus speaking here, he says, I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. This comforter, remember this synonym for the Holy Spirit, this comforter, this Holy Spirit, that it may abide with you forever. And I, uh, if you can continue to verse 17, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but 
Ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and he shall be in you. And I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Okay? This is Jesus speaking here. He says, I'm not, I'm going to go away. This is what he's speaking of here was, was how he was going to ascend up into heaven. He said, I'm not going to leave you alone though. I'm going to send my spirit. And my spirit will come and it will abide and dwell with you and, and, and in you. I, he says, it shall be in you. The spirit of God uh, had never before dwelt in man, but in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, it tell us, tells us there that if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the, from the dead, if it dwells in you, then he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. That this spirit of God, the same spirit that was in Jesus Christ, it will dwell in you. The same spirit that dwelt in Jesus, that made Jesus the, uh, the fully man and fully God, that same spirit can come and it can dwell inside of you. What an incredible promise and gift that we can have. The spirit of God dwelling in us. Colossians 1, 27 says, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, Christ dwelling in you, the same spirit that was in Jesus Christ dwelling in you. That is this mystery of the Gentiles wondering what, uh, what is so different about these people, this mystery of, uh, of, of what was taking place among the church, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Over there in the, the notes section of, of your paper, I have written there that at Bethlehem, in other words, when Jesus was born, we experience, they experienced the, for, for the first time God with us. God robed himself in flesh and he came down to be with us. When we see Jesus up on the, Calvary, uh, on the cross at Calvary, that was God for us. But at Pentecost, it was God in us. And we can experience God in us even today. We can ex- have that same experience that they had on that day of Pentecost. And I'm so thankful for it. If we look through Scripture and, and find who received the Holy Spirit in the Bible, we're not going to find this in the Old Testament. You're not going to find it even in the Gospels. But you will find it in the book of Acts, forwards, uh, as as they, uh, as, as I indicated earlier, that things changed at this day of Pentecost. Things changed in, in how God uh, dwelt in man for the very first time on that day, and and they experienced this. And we see different people groups and different types of people who are uh, being filled with the Holy Ghost. And I just want to. Go through some of them for our reference today. In Acts chapter 2, we already read it, but in verses 1 through 4, uh, we see that the disciples of Jesus, those who were with him, even at his ascension, that, that they were there and they were filled 
with the Holy Ghost. It says when the day of Pentecost was fully come and they were all in one accord in one place. That suddenly the Holy Ghost swept into that, that house that they were at and filled them with his spirit. And if we go down to verse 33 of that same uh, same chapter. Verse 33 of uh, Acts chapter 2. It says that, therefore, being by the right hand of God, exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this which ye now see and hear. We see, that is not the scripture I wanted. Where am I at? I wanted, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 10, verse 44. That's where I was going to. Acts chapter 10, verse 44 through 48. We see both Jews and the Gentiles who would receive the Holy Ghost here. These are two different people groups. And, and the reason we, we go to this is because prior to really this time in this instance right here. That God mostly just dwelt or just dealt with the, the Jewish people. But I'm thankful for Acts chapter 10. Because in Acts chapter 10, this completely changes and uh, I don't know uh, you know for, for some in here you may have been included in in the in the Jews who they received the Holy Ghost and they experienced this but for the vast majority of us in this building right now uh, you don't have a Jewish heritage and so and so if God would have just dealt with them we would have been left out but Acts chapter 10, we see things begin to change, begin to shift. It's in verse 44. That while Peter yet spoke these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all of them which heard the word. Now, he's in the home of a Gentile man. Somebody who loved God, but he was not a Jew. And, and as he spoke to him, the Holy Ghost fell. And they were of the circumcision which believed were astonished. In other words, the Jews. They were astonished. As many as came with Peter because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they had heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. And then answered Peter, can any man forbid water and they should not be baptized, which have received the holy gift of the Holy Ghost as well. We see those, Jew, those Gentiles now receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost and what a, a great thing that is where it's now still with us today. Amen. Believers who had already been baptized, we see them receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's uh, in, in Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 11 and Acts chapter 19, especially if we went to Acts chapter 19. Uh, we see those uh, believers who had already been baptized. And when they're questioned about uh, about this um about their experience, Peter, or I'm sorry, uh, yeah, Paul, uh, who, who was there, he, he asked them, he says, well, if you've been baptized, have you received the Holy Ghost? And they said, well, we don't even know what the Holy Ghost is. So you see people who had already been baptized, who had not received the Holy Spirit, and yet when they were, when they found out about it, it says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit the same way that, that the people in the beginning had been. So it, it's something that's separate. It's something that's different and can be separated from baptism. It's not 
uh, it doesn't happen automatically at baptism that you receive the Spirit of God. It's, it's separate and distinct from that. The evidence of the Holy Spirit, and I'm trying to wrap this up quickly. So we have our Sunday school classes will be making their way in. But the evidence of the Holy Spirit, we see it, we read it already in Acts chapter 2. Of how they heard them speak in an unknown language, in language that they did not know. Um, and then we see that repeated in Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 19. That it says that, they, where it indicates that they re- began to speak in tongues the same way that they did in the beginning. They spoke in an unknown language. But that's not the only evidence of the Holy Ghost. There is continued evidence of the Holy Spirit. There is a changed life. When God comes and dwells in you, there is uh, continued evidence beyond. It's, it, the, the tongues is not the, the gift. The Spirit of God is the gift. Tongues is the evidence And it says that that evidence is really given for the skeptics or for the unbeliever. That they would see it and say, wow, what has happened here? And they might question it of, this is supernatural. What is happening? But there's continued evidence. We see the fruit of the Spirit. You can study that out in Galatians chapter 5. The love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness. All all these, the the fruit of the Spirit. These things that ought to be evident in the life of a Spirit-filled individual. This, This is the continued evidence. We could point to other things as well as the continued evidence of the Spirit of God dwelling in man. But you will live a changed life because of it. And our last question here. It's really probably the most essential. And that is, is this necessary for salvation? And now here's where, uh, where I want to point back to the very thing at the beginning where it says that, uh, where I said that uh, bat- repentance and baptism were an act of man, but this is an act of God. And I see some people sometimes they get frustrated because they, uh, they say, well, point to this as necessary for salvation. Here I am. I want to pray and I want to, I want to receive it, but I, I haven't experienced it yet. What I would say to them is just come to God, emptying yourself and saying, God, here I am and I'm available for every gift that you would have for me. And as we begin to open ourselves and to earnestly pray and seek God, that he will pour out his spirit. John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, As many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. We already read it in John 3, verse 5, But except a man be born again of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. The baptism of the Holy Ghost is by one Spirit. Romans 8 verse 9 says, Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. We see that this gift, the gift of the Holy Ghost is for all of us. It's for you. If you have not experienced it yet, this gift is for you. 
The gift of the Holy Ghost is, is the greatest thing that, that you could ever experience. There's nothing else like it. Then receive the Holy Spirit, the, the, the same Spirit which is in Jesus Christ dwelling inside of you and will make you an overcomer. We pointed to salvation and, 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 and repentance and baptism as necessary for washing away your sins. But it's by the power of the Holy Spirit that you can be and live as an overcomer every single day. That you have power to live above sin. And you have power to overcome sin through the Holy Spirit. And I'm so thankful that we have access to it today. Amen. I wonder if we could just lift up our hands all around this place. Amen. That we could just let God speak to us as we conclude this Sunday school lesson here today. Amen. His presence is here right now. Holy. 